This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Everybody, good morning. And we are discussing uh, chapter 2 of Pirkei Avot. And we are discussing the first Mishnah in chapter 2. And it's a Mishnah said by Rebbe. Now, Rebbe was the chief rabbi of Israel. Rebbe was the chief rabbi of Israel. He was a scion of the famous family of Hillel, a descendant of Hillel. And Rebbe lived in very harsh times in the Jewish history. It was under the Romans. The Romans had just destroyed the Beit HaMikdash, the second temple. They had destroyed it. And he had a very hard time. But he had a, the reason why he survived was he was good friends with the Roman Emperor Antoninus. Very good friends with the Roman Emperor Antoninus. It's a very strange story, the Gemara says. Rebbe's father was Rabban Gamliel, who was the chief rabbi of Israel as well. And Rabban Gamliel, in his time, the Romans really were mad with the Jews. They never had so much trouble in the Roman Empire as with the Jews. The Romans never had as much trouble with anyone in the Roman Empire. Two people they couldn't conquer. The Scots, so they built a wall. What's it called? Hadrian's Wall. And the Jews. The Jews gave them the most trouble. Because they kept rebelling. Until finally they smashed them completely and they removed all the Jews from Israel. They sold them as slaves. The historians say there were so many slaves in the Roman slave market, there was not enough buyers. No one, there was not enough buyers for all these slaves, all these Jewish slaves. People don't realize, when Titus destroyed the second temple, he used that money to build a Colosseum. The money from the temple went to build a Colosseum. And who built the Colosseum? The Jewish slaves. Very hard to imagine, huh? Hard to imagine. If you make the temple into a Colosseum, Hashem says, I'm going to destroy it and I'm going to build a Colosseum. I'll show you. Terrible. So the Colosseum was made with the money from the temple. People, amazing, hard to understand. And the Jewish slaves built the Colosseum. So Rabbi Huda Nasi was the high, was the chief rabbi that time. Very troubling times. His father, Rabbi Gamliel, was warned: Do not circumcise this boy. If you circumcise your son, I'm going to kill you. Circumcision was banned by the Romans. Romans banned circumcision. They banned teaching Torah. They banned everything. What's the, what's the chief rabbi going to do? He's going to circumcise? not going to circumcise. Of course he's going to circumcise. So he circumcised his son, Rabbi Udanasi. And the Roman procurator was very smart. He says, I'm not going to kill him here because then the Jews are going to rebel. So I'm going to send him to Rome. Let the Roman emperor deal with him. So on the way to Rome, Roman Gamliel stays with the Roman family who they were very friendly with. And this Roman family just had a baby boy as well. So he said, listen, you take our baby, we'll take your baby. That's so why you go to the Roman emperor, or they take the baby, the Roman baby, and they take him to the Roman emperor. And the Roman emperor says, no, well, what are you accused of? He says, we're accused of circumcising our son. But please examine the child. Here's the baby. They open the child. He's not circumcised. <coughs> Say, go home. The Roman emperor said, go home. You're fine. Go home. On the way back, they switch the babies back. <laughs> and that baby was Rabbi Huda Nasi. And those two boys became good friends. Those two boys became good friends. And uh, the, the other, the Roman boy became the emperor of Rome, Antotin, Antoninus. So for a while, he was a good friend of the chief rabbi and, and there was peace between Rome and Israel. So Rabbi Uranasi was very, very wealthy. He was very, very wealthy. And he was also a very big scholar. A very big scholar. And it's actually mentioned in Rashi. Rashi brings down 
uh, descendants of Esav and descendants of Yaakov. Was this the time where the descendants of Esav and the descendants of Yaakov got along? The descendants of Esav was Rome. So Antoninus epitomized Esav's, and Rabbi Yudanasi epitomized Jacob. And we know Jacob bowed down to Esav how many times? Seven times. Seven times. And that was Antoninus. When he went to see the emperor, he had to bow down. So he was the Jacob bowing down to Esav, unfortunately. So uh, Rabbi Huda Nasi says, whenever you need to know how to pacify the authorities, you have to learn how did Yaakov treat Esav. We have to pacify. Unfortunately, for 2,000 years, we've been living in strange countries, and we have to pacify the authorities. So you've got to bow down. Get it? So Rabbi says, what is the path which a person should choose in life? Which path should you choose in life? So this is a very, very interesting. Rabbi Yehuda Nasi was called Rabbeinu HaKadosh. He was called the Holy Rabbi. He was very, very careful with morality. He was a very, very holy. Um, why do they call him holy? Because he says he never looked below his belt. His own body. He didn't even look at his body below his belt. Which today we can't even think about this, this level of holiness. And uh, he says, so a person got to choose a path in life. What path did you choose? And obviously there's a balance in life. The balance in life is how much will I do for myself and how much will I do for others. Right? So the balance in life is, the person says, you know what? It's very, very similar to what Hillel says. Hillel says, If I'm not for myself, who is for me? And if I'm only for myself, what am I? So Rehuda Nasi says, what is the rate, what's the path a person should choose? The path that will bring him glory and also glory for others. Bring him glory from others and glory for others as well. So there's, it's a two-way street. Help others and you get helped. It will help me and help others as well. So that is a very important idea. The idea that bring glory to the person from, from himself and glory for the person from others as well. So what does that mean? Help others and look after yourself at the same time. But make sure you get it right. You have to get that path right. Otherwise you help yourself too much. It's selfishness. You help others too much. You're going to suffer. Right. Plus, got to be careful with this, and that's like a tightrope, balancing act. All about all Judaism is all about walking a tightrope, balancing act. How much for God? How much for you? How much for this one? How much for that one? How much Chesed? How much giving other people? It's all a balancing act. Get it right. It's like tuning the car. You got to tune it right, otherwise it doesn't run properly. Same thing in our lives. We don't tune our lives properly. Things don't run properly. That's number one. Number two. Be careful with a small mitzvah like you should be careful with a big mitzvah. The question is now, what is a small mitzvah and what is a big mitzvah? How do we define a small mitzvah? Let's go around the table. How do you define a small mitzvah? One that doesn't take a lot of effort. Okay, that's one answer. But a lot of big mitzvah don't take a lot of effort either. For example, eating pork does take effort. No effort at all. You can eat it very nice. It's very... So it's a big mitzvah, but it has no effort. So it's not an issue of effort so much. It's an issue of... Look at the Torah. The Torah tells you certain restrictions, and it tells you sometimes the restriction has big penalties. That's a big mitzvah. A mitzvah with big penalties is a big mitzvah. Mm-hmm. A mitzvah with big reward, there are three mitzvot with major rewards. What are three mitzvot with major rewards? Kibbutz Avayim, honoring parents. Right? What's the reward? Long life. Right? 
Not this world, but the next world. But it says over there, long life. Where else does it say long life? Shiloh HaKen. Shiloh HaKen is? Sending away the mother bird to take the egg. Shiloh HaKen, long life. Where else? I'll give you a clue. We say it every day. Shema. In the Shema. What does it say in the Shema? Leman Yibuy Mechem. You'll have a long life. By which mitzvah? Mezuzah. In order you should have long life. You and your children. Boy, that's beautiful. And mezuzah gives you long life and gives your children long life as well. That's a power, the mezuzah. That's why things go wrong. People check their mezuzah. But the Gemara doesn't say check your mezuzah. It says check your deeds. It's, easy. it's easier to check your mezuzah than check your deeds, but it's good to check your mezuzah. It says twice every seven years. A person's going to check the mezuzah. And there's a guy coming down, a software. He's coming to town in November. Good time to check your mezuzah, because mezuzah give you long life and give your child long life. In fact, that's where the Gemara learns out that women also have to put a mezuzah. How do you know? So the Gemara says women don't need long life. <laughs> of course, everyone needs long life. Man, women, children, everyone has to have a mezuzah. So that's a big mitzvah. That's not a small mitzvah. Look at the major reward. Which other mitzvah has long has long life? There's one more, and that is people don't know this, but in laws of scales. So it says, when you sell something, make sure your scales are honest. Mm-hmm. You go and buy uh, fruits, vegetables, whatever it is, by the pound, the butcher. You buy the meat by the pound. <coughs> it sure better be, sure not, not just the meat's got to be kosher, but the scale has got to be kosher. Make sure he's honest. Sure he's honest. Exactly. <laughs> so it's important to be kosher in one's weights. And so kosher weights, long life. There's four minutes for long life. Amazing. So let's recap. What are the four? Number one is honoring parents. It's so hard. That's what I think that's the hardest mitzvah. Honoring parents is the hardest mitzvah, probably, unless you live far away. <laughs> but if you're living far away, you're not honoring them. By living far away, you're not living them with them and, and honoring them, that's a hard one. Honoring parents. What else? What do we say? Sending away the mother bird. Number three? Mezuzah. Number four? Scales, weights. kosher weights, kosher okay, weights. How do you, where do you shine in with kosher weights? If you're talking about the, if you're a businessman, only, only if you're a businessman, not the customer. <coughs> or if someone comes to you and says, "Can I borrow a pound of sugar?" Yeah, sure. And then you give back less. The guy gives back less than a pound. Not purposely. Yeah, I'm saying that's that's the law of uh, kosher weights. It says the Havitz Haim opened the store. To support himself, he opened a store, a grocery store. And he was very careful not to charge too much. Because in Jewish law, you're not allowed to charge more than one-sixth extra for basic commodities. So he had the lowest prices in town. So everyone used to come to his store. He said, hey, we're taking business away from the competition. So we're going to cut down the hours of the store. Instead of opening all day, we're going to open only in the mornings. And he sees the store is packed. Why? Because the weights were honest. Plus he put an extra. He didn't want to lose. He put extra weight in the package. And his prices were low, and everything was good, good quality. His store was packed. He said, I've got to close the store down. I'm taking business away from people. <laughs> so he closed his store. <laughs> that was the Chavetz Chaim. Who could be the Chavetz Chaim? So he left, he left the people at the mercy of... The he said, better they go to someone else. I don't get involved with this laws. Of, there's so many different laws involved with business. He says, you know, the famous story says, a shochet came to the Chavetz Chaim. The shochet's getting old. His hands started mo- trembling. Mm-hmm. And he said, I can't, I don't, I can't be a shocker anymore. Chavetz Chaim says, what do you want to do? He says, I want to go into business. He said, think about it very carefully. When you do shechita, if it's trade, it's only one mitzvah you're breaking. In business, there are 50 potential mitzvot you can break. 
so hard to be a kosher businessman. It's so hard. So hard to be a, a businessman who's honest. It's, it's to be honest in general is hard. To be a businessman, we have so many opportunities to cheat. It's much harder. So you see today in business, bait and switch, uh, you know, lost leaders, there's all kinds of tricks to get people into the store. There's a whole discussion in the Mishnah whether a businessman is allowed to give uh, candies to children who come into the store. Because when you give candies, the children tell the parents, I want to go to that store. He's going to take business away. So Allah says, yes, we're allowed to, but it's a big question mark. So number two is, be very careful with a small mitzvah like a big mitzvah. The guy says, listen, eh, it's a small thing. Like, what's Lashon Ara? It's a small thing. I don't know. It's not a small thing. Well, it's not big. Where's the big? Where does the Torah say it's big? It doesn't say it's big. It, does, it tells you the story of Miriam. That's how it makes it big. A person says, uh, what do I do? Uh, I didn't say hello to so-and-so. What do I do? I didn't do anything. I just didn't say hi to him. Now, small things can become big things. So... I didn't say a bracha. Big deal. Who cares? I didn't say a bracha. So the person says these are small things. So Rabbi Huda Nasi says, be careful with a small mitzvah like a big mitzvah. Why? Because you don't know. We don't know the value of a mitzvah. You know, I wish we could see the value of one mitzvah. I wish. I really wish. One day, I would open my our eyes. Say, listen, I'm going to show you the value of one mitzvah. The reward for one mitzvah cannot fit into this world. Not to mention, right? The reward for this one mitzvah is eternal. Eternal reward for one, even one small mitzvah, you get eternal reward. It says, a child, how does, when does he get to Olamba? How does he get to Olamba? If he answers one amen. One amen. I put out, I have a thing on Facebook, so I put out this, this ma'amar, it's a very wild ma'amar. It says, if a, if a person says one baruch hu baruch shemur, it's worth for him to be created and worth for the whole world to be created. If he says one Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo, and he says a thousand Baruch Hu Baruch Shemo is worth one Amen. Wow. And a thousand Amens is worth one Amen Yeheshem Rabbah. Hard to imagine, right? Suppose we do these small things, we think they're small, we come to Shul, that's why you need to come from Minyan. You need to come from Minyan and here, answer Amen, answer Amen Yeheshem Rabbah. It's very, very powerful. It's a thousand times we don't. We can't, we can't even fathom the reward for a mitzvah. We have no idea what the reward for a mitzvah. I wish we could see the reward for a mitzvah. The only, the only time people saw the reward for a mitzvah was Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai. Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, big Kabbalist, right? He has thousands of people learning Torah. So he has, he's standing on the mountain and they're around him and he's teaching Torah. So it says they were destitute. His students were destitute. And uh, one of the students says, you know what, let me go and earn some money and come back. So he went away five years. He comes back, very successful businessman. And now he can support himself. And the other students look at him and say, hey, if he can do it, we can do it as well. Rishon says, listen, guys, you got the wrong idea. Let me show you what your Torah is worth in, in the next world. Come to the top of the mountain. They all come to the top of the mountain. He says, listen, one word of Torah, the whole valley fills up with gold coins. He says, you want your reward in this world? Go and take as much gold as you want. The next world is unlimited. So we can't even imagine when the Mishnah says, Talmud Torah Kirneged Kulam, the Talmud Torah is like all the mitzvot put together. Imagine how much reward for one word of Torah. It's a tremendous reward. I wish we could see it. If we could see it, we'd be motivated. We'd be really motivated. You know, when I grew up, the shul they used to sell the uh, auction on Yom Kippur. We still have it over here. 
And the auctioneer was a very good auctioneer. He says, I wish you guys knew the value of this mitzvah. Just buying one mitzvah has tremendous power to buy one mitzvah. So every, every week it's free. We don't appreciate it when you have to buy it. Some people pay a lot of money to open the ark on, on Yom Kippur. It's like a big, big, big money. But it shows the value of a mitzvah. Imagine paying for a mitzvah. It's amazing value. <coughs> it's like paying for the lulav and etrog, boy. It's a lot, a lot of value. You've got to pay for it. But we see Jews pay for a mitzvah. It's amazing. People pay to do a mitzvah. Send your kids to yeshiva. It's like... But think of the value you're getting. Think of the reward you're going to get. Every single word the kid learns is yours. That's a lot of Torah. So a person will be careful with a small mitzvah like a big mitzvah. Why? Because we don't know the value of each mitzvah. There's no mark on the mitzvah. Plus, a mitzvah itself has no value. What do you mean it has no value? Because it depends on how you do it. If you do it with enthusiasm, it's a thousand times the price you get. Imagine. A person does a mitzvah depressed. Oh, I'll do it. Okay, I'll do it. Well, I don't want to do it, but I'll do it. It's a low, low value. The person says, I like Shabbat. I want to keep Shabbat. I love Shabbat. So the gusto and the, and the pleasure of doing it, that's worth a lot. So it's built in value. A person can put value into the mitzvah. It's like buying a car. You buy the basic model or you buy the extras. You buy the luxury. A person can have the mitzvah, which is a basic mitzvah or a luxury mitzvah. Imagine. So a person goes to Shemaim and they see this guy has a thousand angels and the other guy has only two. He said, why? We, we did the same mitzvah. Ah, but he did it with joy and you did it with... Yeah. So it's a big, important thing. So we have to realize the value of one mitzvah, the value of the mitzvah. So he says, don't even think about I'm trying to think, I'll do the heavyweight mitzvah, I won't do the lightweight mitzvah. We don't know which one's heavyweight, we don't know which one's light. You can make a lightweight mitzvah into a very heavy mitzvah. How? By your attitude and by your joy. And now, this is something even harder. And that is, think about the loss of the mitzvah. But says, you know what? I won't go. This woman's sitting shiva. I'm not going to go. Plenty of people are going, I'm not going to go. Now think about how much you lost by not going. And think about how much you would gain by going. Huh? You lose your conscience. You have a guilty conscience. Good. Good. It's good to have a conscience. Why? Your conscience is your soul talking to you. You know that? When When a person has a conscience, that means the soul is talking to them. The soul says, Guy, what's going on? What are you doing? Okay, get moving. Do this rightly. Do this properly. So a lot of people just shut up. Don't tell me what to do. They tell their own conscience. Don't tell me. You're just shutting up your soul. So what happens eventually is the soul dies. But the soul is dying. See, all these murderers, they don't have a conscience anymore. They kill their conscience. So they're walking around without a soul. They're walk, basically, they're walking around without a soul. It's a terrible what thing. Is, what, excuse me, what does this have to do with the evil inclination? <coughs> the, the same thing? That the good inclination is your soul. The good inclination is your conscience. Your soul conscience. So a person kills their conscience, they're killing their good inclination. They have no good inclination now. It's a, it's a very major thing. A person should say, yes, my soul, talk to me. I want to hear what you're saying. It's very hard because it's harsh, as you say. Um, it's guilt. So you tell the guilt, listen, tell me, I want to talk to you. I want to hear. I want to hear what you're saying. That means I've got to do teshuva. If a person does listen to the soul, never do teshuva. Right? It's good to listen to the soul. Some people are crazy. That's, uh, they go crazy. So that's not good. So a person's got to change. A person's got to adapt. A person's got to talk. And have that inner con- conversation. A person's got to have an inner conversation with themselves. That's what conscience is. Have that inner conversation and say, listen, what can I do to improve? This way I want to be good. I want to, I want to do the right thing. 
have a guy in my shul. He's, he's changing. You see this boy changing so rapidly. He comes to me and says, Rabbi, he says, tell me if you see anything I need to change. Mm-hmm. I want you to tell me because I want to change. I want to be good. I want to be... So he's trying to follow his inner voice. He's following the inner voice of the conscience. And think about the loss of one mitzvah. And think about how much reward you would have got. I mean, everyone we all have in our lives. I wish I did it that. I wish I would have done that. I wish I bought Amazon stock. I wish. I wish I bought it. You know, when it was uh, $5. Now it's $2,000. I wish I bought it a year ago. It's $1,000. I wish I bought that house. I wish I bought this house. I wish I bought this. I wish I did that. We all have full of regrets. But how many people think, I wish I did that mitzvah? I wish I did that mitzvah. And that's what he's telling us. Think about the mitzvot you had opportunities to do and you didn't do. It's so hard. So that's the thing. A person sees a mitzvah, grab it before someone else grabs it. And make sure you're invested in as many mitzvot as possible. That's the idea, is to invest in many mitzvot as possible. And just like you diversify in your portfolios, you've got to diversify in your mitzvot. It says, you know, I need to do some chesed. I need to learn some Torah. I need to do a little bit of this, a little bit of this. Just diversify. Engage in mitzvot. And think about what you made from doing a sin, Barmina. Terrible. Person does a sin. He says, I can't resist it. I have this impulse. I need to do this impulse. So you follow the impulse. <coughs> and then think about what you lost by doing it. A person, again, got to be spiritually sensitive and feel the soul grow, feel the soul diminish. Person says, you know, I feel good. I, I pray today. I learned Torah today. I feel good. That's a soul feeling good. A person says, you know, I didn't pray today. I'm going to feel bad. So that's good. That means you're sensitive. The soul is sensitive. A person is going to be sensitive. But think about a person lost. Cain and Abel, right? Think how much Cain could have gained by improving himself. I mean, he was the first one to think about bringing Korban. Think about it. He was a spiritual genius. I want to give back to Hashem. Only problem is, he didn't give good things back to Hashem. He gave the worst back to Hashem. What does Hashem need? Come on, Hashem's not... Hashem doesn't need it really. It's just a symbol of my appreciation. Thank you, Hashem. Here's the garbage. Whereas Hebel gave the best. And, but Cain could have really, he could have, he could have changed. He could have become better. That's what Hashem told him. Hashem says, why are you depressed? Just improve. Improve. So he didn't want to improve. It's hard to improve. So now think about the reward Think about the gain he got, but don't think about the loss he suffered. The gain he got by killing his brother. What gain did he get by killing his brother? Well, he did. He inherited the world. But he ended up wandering the world. He ended up wandering around. So what did he lose? He lost everything. He lost his life. He lost wandering. So we don't think about that. We have to be far-sighted. Where will this get me? The person's going to talk to the Yitzhara. Just like we talk to our conscience, we're going to talk with the Yitzhara as well. So Yitzhara says, why do you do this? You get a lot of pleasure out of it. Say, listen, how much pleasure? Two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, half an hour pleasure? But look what the consequences are. Horrible consequences. So sometimes we can't fight against Israel. Israel is too strong. We have to pray to God. Help us, Hashem. So every morning we say it. We pray to Hashem in the morning prayers. Keep us away from the Israel, Hashem. But trouble is, Israel is inside. <laughs> and that was the sin of Adam, right? Adam and Chava's sin. And the Israel becomes inside. Instead of outside, it's inside now. So we're all born with this, with this Yitzhah. On the other hand, the Yitzhah is a motivator. If we can use the Yitzhah for good, and we can serve God with both our hearts, which is what Rashi says is the Yitzhah Tov and the Yitzhah. 
You love the Lord your God bechol levavcha with two hearts. That's why it's two beds. We have to love God with the good and the bad. How do you love God with the bad? The bad is the motivator. The bad says, wake up in the morning and do so-and-so and do so-and-so. Get moving. And the guy says, I'll use that. I'll wake up, I'll wake up in the morning to go to pray. I'll use my Yetzirah to pray. I'll use my Yetzirah for something else. So it's the motivator. Look at three things. Look at three things. You'll never come to sin. Number one. That's so hard. That's why Jews wear yarmulke. The yarmulke is to remind you there's something above. Only trouble is, you wear it long enough, you forget about it. God's going to remember all the time there's something above me. Men especially, something above you. Don't forget, there's something above you watching you. Something above you. Hashem. Hashem is there. Hashem's presence is everywhere. Hashem's presence is... There's no place where Hashem is not. So Hashem is everywhere. Ayn Ru'ah. There's an eye that sees. Today, you know, there's cameras everywhere. Even this building has cameras all over now. We have Homeland Security gave us a grant. We have cameras everywhere. In fact, I can watch everything in my, on my phone. I can see this building, this entrance, that entrance. Who's walking here? Who's walking there? Plus, it's all recorded. So today, someone was telling me the other shul, they found people who were robbing. The guy was robbing from the pushka. There was a guy robbing from his friend. All kinds of people. They have it all camera. So they said, these are religious people. What's going on over here? And the answer is, they don't believe this, this line. God is watching me? Eh, maybe not. We always have that idea. We forget. The Gemara says, A person does not sin unless a little bit of foolishness falls into them. What's the foolishness? The foolishness is, maybe Hashem is not watching me right now. Maybe God is not watching me right now. And we all, like, we all have these failings. It's a failure. So a person's going to know for sure. Number one, there is a God. Number two is, there's an eye that sees. Number three is, there's an ear that hears. And number four is, everything's recorded. Everything is recorded. Everything in this world is recorded. And one day we'll get to the heaven, and everything will be played back to us. This is your life. Say, oh God, no, no, please don't. Don't show that clip. Don't show that clip, Hashem. I'll give you whatever you want. Just don't show the clip. Hashem says, why didn't you do Teshuvah? If you do Teshuvah, you can erase the clip. And if you do Teshuvah, Me'ahava, we talked about, if you do Teshuvah from love, you can rewrite the clip. Wow. That's a power. But if a person remembers these, these things, a person will never sin. The trouble is we forget these things, and that's why it's important to come and remember, remind ourselves these things all the time. Eye that sees, there's a year that hears, and everything is recorded, and Big Brother is watching. Who's Big Brother? Hashem is watching. And this is before the Big Brother. <coughs> before George Orwell came along. Before the American Satellite Program. Hashem is watching all the time. Okay, we're moving on. This is the son of Rabbi Hudanasi, Mishnah Bet. Rabban Gamliel was the son of Rabbi Hudanasi, also his father. His father was Rabban Gamliel. So, Sephardic tradition is you name your son after your father, even when he's alive. And that was a tradition you see in the Mishnah. Rabban Gamliel, Rabbi Hudanasi, Rabban Gamliel. Rabban Gamliel, the son of Rabbi Hudanasi, says, Yefeh Talmud Torah im Derecheretz. It's important to work and learn Torah. It's important to work and learn Torah. Why? Now we come to a very important idea. The idea in Judaism that it's very important to stay busy. To stay busy and productive. Why? Because when you're busy and productive, you have no time for evil. It's very important to stay busy and productive. So busy doing what? 
Rabbi Yudanasi says, the son of Rabbi Yudanasi, Rabbi Gamliel says two things. Learn Torah and go to work. Learn Torah and go to work. Learn Torah and go to work. Learn Torah to go to work. What happens? When you're busy and you're going to be tired from doing both these things, you're not going to have time to sin. So the best advice is, what does it say? Idle hands make mischief. Don't be idle. Always find something productive to do. Volunteer, learn Torah, pray, but something productive all the time so you'll have no gaps in your schedule. The worst thing is to have a gap in your schedule. Say, hey, now I can put my feet up and I can relax and I have time to play around. No, no playing around. No playing around. We don't play around. Jews don't play around. I have a guy in my shul, he says, I became Baal Teshuvah. So now Friday nights I used to spend with the bar, in the pub, with my friends, hanging out. And now my wife is very happy. Why? Because I'm now home with her. Now I keep Shabbat. I'm making Kiddush. Come home and, and drink with my wife. Why I drink in the pub with my friends? <laughs> Imagine, Friday night, everyone goes. From work, they go straight to the bar. Straight. And they chat, and they talk, and they drink. And then, and I don't know, I've never done it. Baruch Hashem. But... <laughs> But you can imagine. It's, uh, so now he's at home. Right? So it's important. Why? Because then you have no time to sit. But a person has leisure time. Leisure time brings one to another, one to another. Especially when they're drinking. Who knows what they're doing? All sorts of things. <coughs> so very important. Keep yourself very busy, productive. Learn Torah and go to work. And then you'll find you have no time for sin. No time for sin. And any Torah which is not accompanied with work, in other words, any Torah where there's no means of support, that's where the kolalim come in. The kolal says, it's like work, we're going to pay you like you're working. Oh, fantastic. This way, your work is your Torah. Your Torah becomes your work. You're working as a Torah. So it's good. If you can find a job like that where they pay you to learn, then you're getting paid. You're not going to run around, cheat, and rob, and steal. However, a person just learns Torah and he has no means of support, so far betila. It's eventually going to be annulled. The person is going to cheat, rob, steal to get. And Goret, I want to call sin. Okay, that's the first thing. So, very important. What advice do we have? Stay productive, busy, as long as you can. Make sure your schedule is full of productive things. Don't have time, don't have leisure time. So, today the big thing is leisure time. What do people do in leisure time? They watch TV, they watch the sports, they watch this, all a waste of time. Bittlesman. It's called Bittlesman. Literally burning one's life up. Literally burning one's time. Wasting time is the worst thing a person can do. Why? We forget. Time is life. Time is life. Every, every hour of the day, how many seconds? 60 seconds a minute. Time 60? 3,600 seconds an hour. 18,000 or so seconds a day. You get credited to your bank. Now, Hashem says, I don't pay you in money, I pay you in seconds. Life. Life you measure in seconds. How many seconds do we waste? There's a beautiful Gemara. This Gemara is an amazing, beautiful Gemara. I love this Gemara. I think it's Shabbat. The Gemara says that Hashem comes to the forefathers with a complaint. Hashem says, Abraham Avinu, your children are sinning. They're sinning against me. Abraham Avinu says, kill them, Al-Kiddush Hashem. Destroy them. Let them die for the sake of your name, Hashem. Hashem says, wow, Abraham Avinu, I didn't expect that from Abraham Avinu. Let me go to Yaakov Avinu. Maybe Yaakov Avinu, who, who raised 12 children, 12 tribes, he'll be more compassionate. He says, Yaakov Avinu, your children are sinning. Yaakov Avinu says, let them die, Al-Kirush Hashem. 
Then he goes to Yitzhak Avinu. And he said, Yitzhak, keep Yitzhak for last. Yitzhak was a korban. He said, Yitzhak, your children are sitting. And Yitzhak says, they're not your children? <laughs> they're my children, not your children? You know what happens when husband and wife fight? Yeah. Your kids are behave, misbehaving. You know, your kids all of a sudden, what happened? Ah, when they're behaving well, my kids are doing well. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Yitzhak Avinu says, they're my kids, not your kids. Those are your kids. What do you mean? You said when, when the Jews took the Torah, you said, Yisrael, you called them your firstborn. They're not your children. So then Yitzhak Avinu, it's a good bargain there. He said, listen, how long does a person live? 70 years? Let's say 70 years. Half the time he's living, he's sleeping half day. So that's, how many years are left? 35 years? He's in the bathroom 10 years of his life. I've taken out 10 years off. So it's 25 years, eating, drinking, this and that. How many years are left? 12 years. Hashem, you can't spoil them for 12 years. It's not the whole life they're sitting against you. It's just 12 years of their life they're sitting against you. You can't spoil them 12 years. And if you don't want to spoil them 12 years, I'll take six and you take six. <laughs> Beautiful. Beautiful. So the question is, why is Yitzhak Avinu the one who defends the Jewish people? So Avraham Avinu represents Chesed. He should be the one. He's the one who's full of kindness. He should be the one who's defending us. But Chesed cannot defend. Why? Chesed doesn't know how justice works. And therefore Chesed cannot defend. <coughs> Yaakov Avinu, who's deferred, he's a mixture of Chesed and kindness. Of, of kindness and judgment. He, can't, he doesn't know how judgment works either. But Yitzhak Avinu knows how judgment. He is judgment. He's the epitome of judgment. He says, this is not justice, Hashem. What you are doing is not judgment. Because you yourself know that they're your children as well. And you yourself know, you created man, you know how much life they have. It's not the whole lives. You're telling me the whole lives they're sitting against you, they're not sitting against you the whole lives. They're sitting against you 12 years max. You know that. So judgment will not allow it to happen. Very beautiful, Gemara. So we have to know that a person has to stay busy. And stay busy doing good things. Because at minutes of your time is your life. We waste time. You know, Dhul Gum at the end of his life started crying. I wasted eight minutes of my life. He counted the seconds he wasted. Can you imagine? He counted the seconds he wasted. Who can do that? Today, how many times have we wasted? Oh, God. All the time we wasted. People look for leisure. They look for time to waste. They look for time to waste. So the Vilna Gaon says like this. He says, if you're busy learning a living, you're part from Talmud Torah. You don't have to learn Torah. If you're busy learning Torah, how much even better? If you're busy doing nothing, you're wasting time from learning Torah. We do not believe in wasting time. The person's got to stay busy. That's what Rabbi Yudha Nasi is telling us. His son, Rabbi Gamliel, is telling us. Stay busy with productive things and learning Torah. And when you're busy doing both, you won't have time to do anything bad. You'll just do good things all the time. Where people are involved with community work, work L'Shem Shemayim. Don't think it's me, 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 me. That's Gava, that's pride. Why? And don't think because you're successful, the community is growing, it's you. It's the merit of the community that are standing by them. So the merit of their forefathers are helping the community. Okay, good. So that's uh, good advice from Gamliel. Obviously, he was the head of the community. So the head of the community should not become big-headed. I did this and I did that. It's the community's merits. They have merits from, from their forefathers. That's raising them up. Okay, now we come to very good advice. And we see this today, Jews and politics. Should Jews be involved in politics or not? Oh, you're involved. Oh, you're involved, that's right. 
<laughs> and in those days, especially, they were involved with the Romans. Oh boy. So what does he say? He was involved with the Romans. He had to be. He was the leader of the Jewish people. Right. He says, Be very cautious when you're in politics. Be very, very cautious. It's amazing. This is advice for our day. So exactly for our Still applicable. Today there's no death penalty. On, you know, the guy, one guy can say off with his head. But in those days, imagine, they could kill people left and right. Especially, they didn't like you for one minute, off with your head. Very, very careful with the, with the authorities. So he's talking about the Roman authorities, but it really applies to all authorities. Look at what he says. They use you, and they abuse you. When they need you, they are friends. When they don't need you, they throw you out. So let's read it. They only draw people close for their needs. They look like they love you, politicians. Oh, yes, you're my best friend, you're my best friend, you're my best friend. I need your help. Give me a donation. And then when they elect you, how many presidents said they're going to move the embassy to Israel? <laughs> Every single president, I remember, getting elected, goes to Jews, all the citizens. When I am elected, I'll move the embassy. I'll move the embassy. <coughs> all liars. A bunch of liars. They're all liars, except for one. I don't want to say his name because a lot of people hate him. <laughs> but uh, he's the only one who kept his word. That's right. It's tragic. The Jews don't recognize it. We have to recognize it. We don't, we don't recognize it. We don't appreciate it. It's tragic. So we like the liars. Isn't it strange? We support the liars. The liars who lied to us. It's a disaster. If we don't stand up for our own interests, no one else will. And the guys who hate Israel, yeah, we love them. You know, it doesn't make sense. The guys who pressured Israel, oh, they're pressuring Israel for Israel's sake. But liars and cheats and crooks and liars. So anyway, so they look like they love us but only because we help them, because they need something from us. They need money from us. However, when we really need them, they're hiding under the carpets. So, they don't help a person when they're down. Only when they're up, they say, yeah, you're my friends. But when you're not up, I don't know you anymore. And they're friends like that. They're what's called fair-weather friends. Fair-weather friends. When you're up, you're my friend. When you're down, I don't know you anymore. So that's with the same thing politicians. Politicians love you when you have money. When you don't have money, they don't know you anymore. Anyway, let's move on for politics. This is very interesting politics over here. This is very good, good advice. Don't get too close. You have to know all they want is they want to use you. And when you're not around, they forget about you. So it doesn't say not to get involved. It just says be careful. Be cautious. Be cautious. In fact, you should be involved. Jews should be involved, I think, to get our agenda across. And it's important, important to get our agenda across. But to support and pay and this and that depends who. What are you doing? You've got to know who's on your side. Okay, now we come to a very famous Mishnah. This is again Rabban Gamliel, the son of Yudh Nasi. Who are you, Omer? He used to say, Rabban Gamliel used to say, May God's will, your will. May God's will, your will. May God's will your priority in life. What's my priority in life? I want to do God's will. God's will is my priority in life. And when you make His will your will, He will make your will His will. Ah, I'm on your side, Hashem. Listen, what's the best way for Hashem to answer your prayers? If you tell Hashem, listen, I'm your servant. I'm trying to do what you want. Now help me. I want to do what you want. I'm on your side. Ah, you're on my side. Of course I support you, Hashem says. Look at Abraham Vino. 
Abraham says, I want to be on your side, Hashem. Hashem says, okay, I'll help you. I'm behind you. I'm supporting you. So if you do God's will, you make God's will your will, Hashem says, I'll make your will my will. That's a very powerful way to get support from God straight. But says, you know what, Hashem, I just want to do your will. That's what I want to do. So if I want to do your will, won't you help me do your will, Hashem? Please help me do your will. I'm trying to do your will. Hashem says, okay, if you make my will your will, I will make your will my will. But the truth is, once you make your will God's will, you're on the same wavelength. Mm-hmm. So his will and your will are the same way. We're going the same direction. First, you've got to go in the same path as God's path. If you go in God's path, God says, I'm with you. If you don't go in my path, I'm not going to be with you. So but if you're in my path. Pardon? It's strange. What if something uh, not good happens? And the answer is, it's a test. It's a test. So you have to support it anyway? Abraham Abinu had ten tests. Hashem was supporting him, and he had tests. Why do you have a test? And the answer is, without the test, we can't build ourselves up. How do you know how high you can jump? You keep raising the bar. You've seen these high jumpers? You know a high jumper? He jumps really high, right? In the, in the Olympics, right? They raise the bar. What they do is, that every time he jumps, I want to see if he can jump higher. So what they do is they put the bar up higher. So we in life are jumping. What do you mean jumping? We're passing tests. Hashem wants to see how far we can go. And the test is emunah. The test in life. The main test in life is our beliefs. Hashem says, you believe in me, yeah? Let's see how much you believe in me. You believe in me when things are good. Let's see if you believe in me when things are bad. Oh boy. We don't want tests. But that's the test. Unfortunately, it's a test. And you pass the test when despite that you believe. Despite that you believe. That was a test he said in the book of Job. Because the book of Job. The book of Job is a philosophy. About why do bad things happen to good people? Why do bad things? And the answer is, we don't really know. But, but you can see from the Avraham Avinu, it's a test. It's a test of faith. Hashem is testing Abraham. You love me? Yeah, I love you. Okay, do this for me. Okay, I did this for you now. Now what? You love me? Do this for me. Uh, more? <laughs> Give me your son. Which one? Bencha Yechidcha, your only son. They're both your only sons. Asher Hafta, the one you love. I love them both. Give me Yitzhak. Whatever you say, Asher. Whatever you say. His emunah was not phased one bit. That's Abraham Vino. Abraham Vino loved God with all his heart. We should get to the level. So it's very hard. It's very, very hard when troubles come to say, we have to realize who gave us the trouble and who's going to get rid of the trouble. <laughs> There's only one source. The source of everything is God. So God gave us, and God will get rid of it first. Listen, we can't argue with God. Why? He gives life. And if we don't, eventually He's going to take it back. Whatever Hashem gives us, He gave us. And that's the test of faith. The test of faith is, Hashem, you gave it to me, it means I can handle it. If, you if I couldn't handle it, you wouldn't give it to me in the first place. Mm. If I can handle it, now I've got to grow and try and work it out. It's so hard. It's, so, it's very hard. See the tests of, of life. And uh, Rashi says over there, Hashem does not. It's like a uh, maker of pitchers. In those days, they would make pitchers out of clay. And the person who makes the pitcher, he would knock it to see whether it's strong enough. The test of the pitcher was to bang it. And Hashem tries to bang us as well, see if we're strong enough. Mm. If our faith is strong enough, he bangs us sometimes. It's very hard, very hard. And that's why every morning, person should pray with real gusto. Please don't test me, Hashem. Please, I can't, I can't, Hashem. Please don't test me. 
Because if you test me, I might be disgraced. Don't test me. We know who asked for a test was David Amelech. King David asked for the test. And we know what happened to him. Failed miserably. But he's one of the big bald teshuvas. So we got teshuva out of that. So make his will your will. So sometimes we make our will his will. I had a case. Let me tell you the case. Very simple case. This family had a family who had come to, started to come to shul. Started coming to shul. And I had them over for dinner, and we see they're moving, they became more religious, they're talking now about Shabbat, and this and that. Yeah. All of a sudden, I didn't see them again. What happened? That week, after they came to my house, look at the, this is how the Yetzirah works. They had an oil delivery to the house, right? An oil delivery. So you say, what's wrong with oil delivery? The problem was, they never had a tank. They never had an oil tank. They had taken out the oil tank, but they still had the pipe over there on the side. And the oil delivery came by mistake to the house. He, went, he was meant to go to the house next door. He's pumping all the oil into the ground. They had to move out of the house for three months. And they had balagan, and they, they gave it up. Like, we can't stand this test. It was a test which was too much. <laughs> I didn't see them again. <laughs> what happened? Where are you? We had to move from my house for three months, and went somewhere else, and that's it. Gave up. We give up. We give up. So we see sometimes the test is too big, and sometimes the test is open. It's just, it's just continued. Listen, it's hard when you start, especially when you're starting, and you get a test at the beginning. Because I can't, I can't, I give up, I break. But you know what? There's no alternative. You don't realize there's no alternative to God. There's only one address. You can't say, I don't believe in you, God. God is there, whether you like it or not. He's there. He's the boss. He's the God. So a person says, you know, whatever it is, I believe in you. I believe in you. I, had a, had a, I used to talk to my Rosh Hashiva in Israel. He said, listen, you guys have it good. When I came to Israel, it was 1948. They never paid rabbis. Rabbis were no money. Zero. He said, I would learn in Kolel. The Kolel didn't pay a penny. I would go home. My wife is starving. My children are starving. you have any money? He said, no. <laughs> so he says, on the way home, I would say to myself, El Emet, Moshe Emet, Torato Emet. God is true. Moses is true. The Torah is true. God is, that was his mantra. El Emet, Moshe Emet, Torato Emet. He's going home. He's got nothing to, nothing. But my faith in you is perfect, Hashem. Eventually became the rabbi of Givat Shaul. He got a very good salary. And he was very happy. But he had to go through the hard times. We all have. We have to remember, life is not all up, unfortunately. Life is like going up and down the mountains in our lives. Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes it's very bad. Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes it's very bad. Sometimes it's very good. Sometimes it's very bad. The trick of life, that's why it says, there's a mitzvah to stand up for old people. Vadata panei it says, So the rabbis say, Seva is an old person. It doesn't matter whether it's Jewish or not Jewish. You know that? It's an interesting halakha. Jew, not Jew. When a person is over 70, the Shukhana says you have to stand up for them. You see a non-Jew walking by who's over 70 years old, today it's hard to tell who, how old they are. Because it's also science. They can't tell. People look, people look good. They're young. We have a guy here who's 85. He looks like a 50-year-old. Honestly. Fantastic. And he walks for miles every day. I don't know. Fantastic. So you don't know. But if you know, you have to stand up. Jew, not Jew. Why? Because they're still alive. They passed through the birth. Imagine people passed through the First World War. You know what it's like? First World War. Second World War! And they're still alive! You have to give honor to that person. Why? Because they survived. 
The Torah says, survive. Ubacharta b'chayim. So with all the troubles, the says, I choose life. We had a guy here, unfortunately, just passed away. Unfortunately. Four years, cancer. Four years, he had a, he had a bone marrow transplant. Successful. It was a walking miracle. We stopped praying for him because we knew he was a walking miracle. The doctors didn't know how he survived. <laughs> he survived because of his optimism and his faith in God. And then, unfortunately, on Simchat Torah, he had a virus, attacked his heart, and whew, I couldn't believe it. I didn't hear about it till after the holiday. They're trying to call me. I, I didn't pick up the phone. It was a holiday. Tragic, tragic, tragic. But still, he survived four years. Good, he had two good years of his life added. So the fact that he survived that, you have to give him credit. You have to give him honor because he's a survivor. Survivors deserve honor because they have the emunah to survive. You have to have faith. A person has to have faith. A person with no faith is finished. It's gone. It's gone. You can't. You have to build your faith up in Hashem. Hashem gives sickness. Today it's amazing what they can do. We're living in good times. And if you can live another year, maybe they'll find a, can- a cure. I have a guy now who's getting immunotherapy. He had a big growth behind his lymphoma, behind his eye. Couldn't see. And it's a trial now, immunotherapy. He's on a trial. It shrunk. The first treatment, it shrunk completely. It's amazing. So if you can just live another year, live another year. You never know that. They're working on all these cures now. It's amazing. Anyway, so we have to have a munah. And we have to do God's will. And we have to realize there's no alternative. It's not like I can say, God, I don't believe in you anymore. So that's okay. You don't believe in me? I don't need you. You need me. I don't need you. You need me. <laughs> we need God more than anything else. Baruch Adonai Le'olam. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.